0: You're listening to the living word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. We come alive as a we're filled with the living word of brutalized so we can fully rest in your truth. Yeah, yeah.
1: The famine was severe. In all the world. So Joseph has become the Savior of the entire world. And now everybody's coming because of the family. And Joseph's the guy they're coming to. And Joseph, because he's got storehouses, he's got everything you need. <laughs> I didn't get any better. Don't you love this book?
0: I love this book. Many of us are familiar with the title, The Suffering Servant, which has been given to Joseph from the book of Genesis. However, interestingly enough, many of us don't think of Joseph as the Savior of the ancient world. In today's message, Pastor Danny discusses how Joseph is exactly that, a Savior for all who came to him during what was probably the worst famine in human history. In his study, you'll learn how Joseph's charge over the grain stores of Egypt symbolizes Jesus, the bread of life. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis chapter 40 as he continues his message, Lessons from the Life of Joseph.
1: the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Let me pause just to say, that was really a bad bunch of bread that dude baked (laughs) for him to Hang him. Don't miss verse 23 of chapter 40. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And for two years, that's the opening of chapter 41. For two years, Joseph sits in the prison. What hope did he have in life? Did he think about the dreams God had given him? No question. Was he challenged? I have no doubt. He's human just like you and me. But after two years had passed, and now we summarize a bit of chapter 41, Pharaoh has a dream. Standing by the Nile, out of the Nile comes up these seven cows, sleek and fat. And then these seven scrawny cows come up. And the seven scrawny cows eat the seven fat cows. He fell asleep again. He has a second dream. This time he sees seven heads of grain healthy and good. And they were growing on a single stalk. And then seven other heads of grain sprouted. And they were thin and they were scorched by the east wind. And the thin heads of the grain Swallowed up the healthy, full heads. And then he woke up again. And he tells his officials, I had these dreams and it's really bothering me. I'd like to know what they mean. Well, the chief cupbearer hears about it and he says to Pharaoh, Now I'm reminded of my shortcomings. You know, when you put me in prison, there was a dude there, a Hebrew. And I had a dream, and, and, and the, the chief baker had a dream, and we, we told him our dreams, and he said, "Here's what it means, and it happened exactly like you said it would, and you hanged the chief Baker, but you gave me my job back." He says, "Who is this guy? Was' well, Joseph? And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And he says, "I hear you can interpret dreams." He says, "I, I can't do it, but God knows all things. He can, he can do it." And so Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. And God tells Joseph what the dreams mean. He says the seven cows that are fat and the seven heads of grain that are full, that's seven years of plenty. And there's coming on the world seven years of plenty. But after the seven years of plenty, those seven gaunt, scrawny cows and the seven thin, scorched grains. That's seven years of famine. And then he says, here's my advice, O Pharaoh. Here's what you ought to do. You ought to look in your kingdom and find a wise, discerning man. And when you find that wise, discerning man, you ought to put him in charge. And so for the next seven years, you prepare for this famine that's coming so that Egypt will be prepared Find you a wise and discerning man and help him prepare. Pharaoh (laughs) and Joseph, I know he's not thinking this at all, but Pharaoh says to Joseph, verse 39, chapter 41, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You're the guy. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will you be greater than me. Does anybody else get Jesus bumps when you read that? I mean, I do. And I'm teaching it. You talk about a type of Christ, the Father, and Jesus, second in command, if you will, technically speaking, equal with the Father, and yet he submitted To the father's will. And here Joseph overnight goes from the prison to the palace. And he's in charge. And so, for seven years, he goes throughout the land and he has them take the the grain and store it for seven years so that when the famine hits, man, Egypt is just stocked up. They're prepared. And I want you to see chapter 41, verse 57. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe, I underline these words, in all the world. The famine was severe in all the world. So Joseph has become the Savior. Of the entire world. And now everybody's coming. Because of the famine. And Joseph's the guy they're coming to. And Joseph. Because he's got storehouses. He's got everything you need. I did not get any better. Don't you love this book? I love this book. <laughs> oh, oh. Man. You could leave and I'd still have a good time teaching it. I love, (laughs) I love chapter 42, the way it opens. I mean, you just can't help but read it and chuckle. Because it says here, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Why don't you do something? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may eat and live. Stop just looking at each other. Go do something. And so they do they go down to Egypt, and don't don't miss chapter 42, verse 8. I love this story, man. It says, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. I wrote beside that John chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Jesus, though he's the creator, he comes, and nobody recognized him. Now, there's a practical reason why they didn't recognize Joseph. Because he's been in Egypt since he was 17 years old, and now he's older. He's second in command. And after all these years in Egypt, he talked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. I don't care how many times, it's still, it's still funny. Except for the young people, they're going, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. That's okay. They don't recognize him. He's using an interpreter. And, and, and when his brothers begin to talk, and they begin to talk, About him? And he knows what they're saying, but they don't know he knows what they're saying? Joseph accuses them of being spies, begins to question them Where do you come from? Who's your dad? You have any other brothers? Benjamin has been born now. There is a youngest, younger than Joseph, but Jacob kept him back. And so Joseph says, You're spies, you're lying. And if you, want, if you want to prove that you're telling the truth, then he grabs Simeon, who's the youngest of those there. He grabs Simeon, has him bound, and he says to the rest of them, now you go back and you bring your youngest brother here, and then I'll know you're telling the truth, and I'm going to keep this one here until you come back. Well, they go back, and they tell dad, they tell Jacob, and Jacob says, there ain't no way. I've lost Joseph because the brothers had told dad, after they sold him to the Midianite merchants, they get his robe that Jacob had made for Joseph because he's the favorite son, and they had taken the robe, they slaughtered a goat, put blood on his robe, bring it back to dad and say, is this your son's? Is this Joseph's? Yes, it is. Wild animal must have killed him. And that's the story they told dad. And so dad thinks Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. He doesn't know. Joseph's still alive, and he's second commanded to Egypt. Jacob says, Joseph's gone, and if I lose Benjamin, I'll, I, I just won't be able to live anymore. And for an undisclosed period of time, he won't send him back with Simeon, he won't send Simeon. And then finally they plead with dad and they say, look, unless we do something, we're all going to die anyway. So he consents and they go back this time with Simeon chapter 43, verse 26, when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house. And notice what it says, they bowed down before him to the ground. You don't have to ask the question to Joseph now. When they did that, think about the dream. The two dreams of the brothers bowing down to him. And it says it again in verse 28 a second time. And they bowed low to pay him honor. Chapter 43 going into 44. He sends them back with Simeon. And then he says to the steward, chapter 44, when you pack their sacks, (laughs) fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. And then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. And then he sends his servants. He catches up with them after they leave Egypt this next time says, one of you guys stole my master's precious cup. And they all deny it. And then one by one, starting with the oldest to the youngest, they search the sacks, and in the youngest ones, they find the cup. They're escorted back in front of Joseph, and as they stand before him, he gets so emotional chapter 45, then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brother's They're not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then the key verse, verse 8 of chapter 45. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What a perspective in life. It encouraged me. I have three points, and the last two points I'm going to give you in about six or seven minutes, which you'll be happy about, won't you? The first point, and that's what we've covered, is Joseph is a type of Christ. And you see it all throughout the story. The second is Joseph as an example to us. And I put down four ways he's an example. And the first should be obvious faith. Faith in the promises of God. And my faith in the promises of God as I look toward the future will help me to endure the pains of the present. And if you haven't had any, (laughs) they're coming. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Man, you have to take that by faith. It's really going to be good when we're exalted one day beyond our wildest dreams. He's an example in faith. He's an example in purity. One reason I'm devoted to my wife and to my wife alone is because I love her. And because if I mess up, she'll kill me. <laughs> but more than being afraid of dying, I love her. She knows I love her. Don't you? For the 9 and 11 o'clock service, she's sitting right here and she said yes. Yes. But there's another reason I'm devoted to my wife. Because one day I'm going to stand before Jesus. How can I do this thing, Joseph said, and sin against God? David, after sinning with Bathsheba and confessing it and repenting, said, against you and you only have I sinned. He's an example in purity. Faith, purity, a third way he's an example for us is in perseverance Hebrews 12 tells us let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and now he's seated at the right hand of God example in faith Example in purity, example in perseverance, and then last, and this takes us right into the final point, an example in provision. What do I mean by that? Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians 1 verse 12, and he says, I want you to know the things that have happened to me, and he's talking about a lot of negative things, a lot of painful things, have served to advance the gospel. God's plan to get Paul the apostle before kings and mighty men was to have him arrested, make him a prisoner of Rome. And as a prisoner, he stood before mighty men, great men, and before people that worked in government positions. He would write in Philippians chapter 1, says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, I'm in change for Christ. And then he closes out the letter, Philippians chapter 4, and he says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. These are people that got saved because through suffering... God opened the door to get Paul into places he never would have been able to get to. So Joseph as a type of Christ, Joseph as an example to us, and then third, it's not alliterated, it's not fancy. The third point, the famine. That's it, the famine. Famine. Joseph as a type of Christ, Joseph as an example to us, and in the story, the famine. It was the famine that drove everybody in the whole world of that day to Joseph. God always will use something to drive us to himself. Now, it's up to us what we do. But he's going to do everything he can to allow our lives so that something, something in his sovereign plan It's going to happen. Hopefully, it'll drive us to the Savior. I thought about so many examples, but the one that just kept coming back to my mind the last couple of days in my studies is the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Her famine, her famine in life was a famine of love. And she'd gone from one relationship to the next, and she starved for love. And now she's just shacking up with a guy. And that's not working either. Because Jesus, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't have dealing with Samaritans. Jesus said, if you knew who it was, what kind of a Jew and who the Jew is <laughs> that asked you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink. And he'd give you living water. He'd give you water you'd never thirst again he give you the water you're really, really thirsting for. And you know what? It's only when you come to that place in life when it's a dry time, it's a time of famine, it's something, it's something that turns your attention to considering God. Considering the Savior, the prodigal son, prodigal son. If you'd have gone to the prodigal son when his wallet was full and the drinks were flowing and the party was hearty, he wouldn't have listened to you. But if you know the story of the prodigal son, what happened? After he spent everything he had, God sent a famine. And that prodigal found himself in such need Longing for the pigs in the pig pen when he was serving the pigs. He had fallen so low. But the famine, the dry time, the tough times is what God used in his life. And it says about the prodigal, there in the pig pen, he came to his senses. And that's what God wants. For us to come to our senses. And go to the Savior. He's got storehouses. (laughs) He's got storehouses. And he's just waiting. He's just waiting. And if you'll come. If you'll come. I love the invitation. I'm closing with this one. Isaiah says in chapter 55, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You'll delight in the richest affairs.
0: for joining us today to study the Old Testament on the Living Word. You may have thought that this section of the Bible isn't relevant in a world that Jesus has redeemed, but we hope through this study that you've changed your opinion. There's plenty to learn from Old Testament books, the people within, and the ways that God reveals Himself. The God you meet in the Old Testament is the same one who created you, and the same one who's governing your life right now. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this Gleanings from the Old Testament series, you can find them online at ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube page, where you can watch a number of teachings from Calvary Chapel Fellowship and subscribe to our channel. Come connect with us on social media as well. You'll find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be able to jump into the conversations there. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. You're invited to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. We're excited to welcome you into our family of faith. You'll find directions and more information at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more on The Living Word.